Caravella Coffee Talks are back, a space created to speak with thought leaders, to exchange knowledge and share perspectives. In these talks, the Relationship Building Team invites you to attend sessions with female leaders in the industry. We will hear about their aha moments, life lessons, breakthroughs, and how we can make coffee better together. Over the years, we have seen how the representation of women in the industry has gained traction and has flourished. Join us for some inspiration. Hello, I'm Marisabel, Marketing Manager at Carabella. Hi, I'm Ana Sofia, Relationship Builder at Carabella. Welcome to our eighth episode of Carabella Coffee Talks, Women Make Coffee Better. Another great episode, and in this opportunity, we had the chance to speak with Freda Yuan, a professional coffee taster and head of coffee at Origin Coffee Roasters in the UK. Frida is well known for her accolades. She won SEA UK Cup Tasters in 2017, 2018, and 2020, and placed third in 2017 and fifth in 2021 at the World Cup Tasters Championship. We talked about copying her approach and how we can make copying a safe space. Amazing. And she's also the author of Sleep and Slurp, A Guide to Expert Coffee Tasting, a self-published book that has been well-received by coffee professionals worldwide. She shares how coffee is such a personal experience and there's no right or wrong when it comes to flavoring coffee. Each person has a background, sensory background, and we can work to develop these skills. Let's hear more about Frida's experience. Welcome everyone to another Coffee Talk. Today we have the pleasure of having Freda joining us here to share about her experience, her work, and her insights about the coffee industry. So let's go ahead and start, Freda. How about we start with a um, small introduction about yourself and then your current role? Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you, firstly, to Carabella um, to have me here. My name is Frida Yuan, and I'm the head of coffee of Origin Coffee Roasters. And my job basically is um, I'm a coffee buyer, get the coffee in from coffee producing countries and bring it back to UK and also make sure the coffee quality is good enough. And then um, preparing different products for different customers with their different tastes. Um, I'm also three-time UK Cup tasting champion and also I had um, third in the world as well back in 2019 and I'm a Q grader but I'm also the author of uh, Sip and Slurp, a guide to expert coffee tasting. Excellent, such a great achievement Freda. Oh thank you. Uh, how I'm interested you know because you you have like this role um, buying a coffee, connecting with farmers and many actors across the supply chain, also working, working in sensory evaluation and just tasting coffee. How did your journey in coffee start? What was, you know, that that tell you, I want to do this in coffee or explore more this industry? Mm -hmm. um, so I started to really get involved with coffee um, eight years ago. And I came to London to learn how to make coffee. So initially, I I went to Australia before and I really enjoyed the coffee culture. I was only um, a front of house back then working in the cafe, but I really, really enjoy 
people sitting in a cafe and then chatting. And I wanted to open a cafe in Taiwan, which is where I'm from. So I came to London to learn how to make coffee because back then there were a few Australians opened cafes in London. So I worked in a cafe for a year and a half, but the cafe was super busy and I made too much coffee that I realized I don't want to open a cafe anymore <laughs> because it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And then I have to be there all the time, pay a lot of attention to it. And so then I started to look into different like direction for my personal coffee career. And then I got really interested into coffee tasting in sensory. And the more I get into it, sensory is a broad topic. And then the more I get into it, I started to get into coffee roasting, uh, and then also green coffee buying. And then now that's where I am right now. Awesome. So it was it was a good way to find out what you really wanted to, to do and kind of focus your energy on. Um, mm. Amazing. Amazing. You recently released a book, Sip and Slurp, uh, mm. which I find very, very interesting. But I, I think also what the industry needs in terms of like opening about sensory and, and how we can approach it in a more uh, accessible way and making it see like everyone can just learn. Mm -hmm. um, what inspired you to, to write this book? Can yeah. you provide us maybe a little bit about how the idea came about and the process? Yeah. Um, so just to give the audience a bit more context, sip, sip, and, sip and slurp. A Guide to Coffee Expert Tasting is a book that I um, break, break, the, uh, break the coffee tasting process down into piece by piece. And then in the end of the book, I put everything together. So there's physiology side of the tasting. There's a basic taste. And then there's more complex information. And initially, I wanted to write this book is... Firstly, um, I noticed that there's no such books in, in the market about tasting. There's more um, as an academic book, but there's not very approachable or easygoing book. And then um, because I have had competed um, cup tasting before and at my second win for the UK Cup Tasting Champion, I realized that winning competition can be quite lonely it's a personal game that I challenge myself and I make myself to the top of it but once I reach it I feel well there's no one sharing with me and that feeling is more like I wish I wish everyone could really enjoy whatever I really enjoy which is um, tasting coffee in present So tasting coffee in that moment and really enjoy it, which is the competition about as well. And my friend suggested, oh, if you're like feeling a bit of, I guess I was a little bit lost because I feel, oh, so what's next? You know, like, what am I doing really now that I've achieved the second win? But then my friend suggested to me, why don't you write a book? Because I have a really interesting background of learning how to taste coffee and then learning my personal uh, perspective and then personal journey until now. And I should definitely share about it. So 
like I said, I did a bit of research and then realized that, well, yeah, actually can be quite an interesting topic. And then I really want to share with people that we can all enjoy the moment. We can all not just enjoy the moment and tasting the coffee, but also enjoy our life in the moment. And I think that's something I've learned from my depression and my progress of bulimia. And that really helped me to understand I need to live at the moment, at the now. And therefore that helped me to expand. And then I decided I want to write a book about it and then to share with everyone. Great. Uh, There's a way, great way to share not only your knowledge or your experience and your, your perspective. I think, you know, everyone's journey is unique, uh, but it's always good to to learn from others, like how they did it, like what was the process, especially when there are so many people interested that don't have like a clear path. Mm. It can definitely provide like a guide, like a guide to yeah. learn to learn more. So that is really inspiring. That leads me to my next question. Um, we have talked about coffee, you know, being more accessible, more approachable, uh, having more structure from, from your experience and from what um, people can gather, you know, in terms of knowledge. Um, but also coffee can be intimidating sometimes. Mm. And it can scare people when you don't have the information, when you are not speaking or saying the same the taste notes. So yeah. how do you think that we can make it more, not maybe safe, or, but accessible where everyone feels confident? Yeah. Um, do you have like an experience since you are on a daily basis copying coffee? Yeah, so that... Whatever you just asked me was also the reason I wanted to write the book. Because from my progression, when I was a barista, I was asking people, so how do you taste more coffee? How can I be better? And people just said, well, you should just taste more coffee. Yeah, like, okay, so I've been doing that. But then why am I not progressing? Or maybe I was progressing, but I wasn't now. Because I there wasn't a really clear suggestion of how things could be in sensory so therefore I think it's more like a secret or a mystery for people you know to to really learn about what's going on and so I wrote the book but also I remember so clearly a long time ago well you know many many times ago I, I joined a few cuppings there were a few people are more outspoken oh this coffee tastes like rhubarb this coffee tastes like I don't know raspberry or caramel but for me it was just it tastes like coffee you know and and it is actually now that I know it is okay but before that like you said I personally feel so intimidated because I can't say it I can't shout any tasting notes and I also equally feel oh I'm really bad at this so I created this label oh, I'm not good at this. So I shouldn't keep doing it because I'm not good at it, you know? And the more I do so, the more I realize that we are actually, it's like learning bicycle. So we are learning our sensory. We're learning how to ride a bicycle slow, uh, step by step. But suddenly we had a crash and then we had a struggle. So we're like, oh, I'm not good at it. So I'm not going to try it. 
but then we stop ourselves from doing or for training, right? But then the more, you know, I gather more information, the more I train myself, the more I realize, oh, actually, yes, everyone was right. You have to taste more coffee. But we also need to understand that, firstly, I'm from Taiwan. you from Guatemala. Um, I'm from Nicaragua. You can from Nicaragua, sorry. And then there are people from maybe Australia, people from UK. We all grow up from different backgrounds. So when we taste fruits, when we taste, I don't know, any any products, drinks, actually, because we're from different countries, how we grow up, the food we taste, the fruits we taste are completely different. The banana from Taiwan probably tastes different than Nicaragua. I'm sure it's different because it's different climate, different um, yes. terroir. So that's why I want to elaborate more about, yes, coffee tasting can be so intimidating, but actually it's not because we are different person and we have different personality, different culture. And therefore, whatever we taste there's no right and wrong. It's just what it is. And then whatever we taste is actually whatever we receive and then how we experienced before and then pass it along. I, I, Does that make sense? I, yes, I totally agree with you because I, I you know, I share this experience um, in terms of tasting different fruits and how they, how you communicate them. Um, and the banana is such a great example because even, you know, in tropical countries, uh, they don't taste the same. So, mm. You can taste one banana in Nicaragua, and then you can eat one maybe in Guatemala City. And because uh, here the climate is not the best for producing banana, they have a different taste. Mm. While maybe in Nicaragua, the area where I'm from, they grow there. You know, just you have one in your backyard, and you just go and pick it, and you can eat it. And and it's a different experience, and also. Um, Sometimes it's not that we don't know, it's that, it's that we don't have that background yet, but we can yeah. acquire it. It's a skill that we can develop. Um, yeah, and it's also like, because we never tried that fruit, potentially, like I never tasted blueberries until I come to UK, because they, they have a lot of berries. So like, it's harder for, for me to understand if, if I'm, I grow up in Taiwan and I never really moved to UK, right? But now I moved to UK. I lived here for eight years. I've tasted raspberry, blueberry, blackcurrant, never had blackcurrant in my oh. life before, redcurrant. And I don't think it, it it grows in a tropical country as well, right? No. So like, how it is could very you share? Cool. Yeah, it how is- can you share this tasting though? So it's really, for me, it's very interesting about how drastically different our culture is and how our food culture is that change yeah, our kind of, um, tastings. Those differences makes it more and more challenging also interesting and it's kind of the opportunity to to continue learning. Um, I've heard many, many um, descriptors that you definitely cannot connect. Mm. But then you can go deep into what it does, what does it taste like? Like, um, is it sweet? Is it sour? So maybe you through that, you can provide some more context. Um, and I have another. I have another question. You know, in terms of since we have talked about you know t- uh, tasting notes and, and communicating in different like countries and backgrounds, how do, are you able to integrate um, your feedback 
about quality with uh, the scriptures, but also to other cultures and maybe origin uh, origin partners. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have? Um, is it difficult or like how have you been able to to share all this? Because it's not it's not easy um, to communicate. Yeah, I think anything actually, if we want to have a really good communication with any culture and any, you know, even though we share the same culture, but we're still different personality, right? So the best way will be calibrate. Calibrate means I taste this, you taste this, the same thing, we taste the same thing, but then maybe we have different standard towards the thing Then we talk about it. It's very important because that's how we understand our standard we, we understand our benchmark that we can move forward. So one of the best thing is you have to cup with your producers. So cup, I cupped a lot with my Nicaragua partners. I cupped with Carabella partner as well. And so they could understand what am I looking for? And I, I can understand what is their sort of like categories. For example, uh, Caravella has RTB, you have triple A, double A. So for, for me, if I understand what are your categories, RTB, AA, I sort of know your quality is, and then we can create a great conversation and, and we understand the language of, of the sensorial um, quality. So that's super, super important for me. Amazing, amazing. And what you mentioned is it's, it's enlightening. It's, it's interesting as well because... Not everyone has always that perception, you know, like being mm. calibrated. Like this is this is what I say it is. Yeah. Uh, but just let's let's kind of stop and yeah. communicate. Like, yeah. What are they, you know, identifying, sensing, like looking yeah. for? Uh, because uh, there might be, you know, like a small degree of differences. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think for me it's what what's interesting is we all potentially understand what does that mean by acidity. We all potentially understand what does that mean by sweetness, but how we can accept the level of the level, the intensity level of the acidity and the sweetness is completely different. So maybe I personally love higher acidity fruit or higher acidity coffee. But that doesn't mean you like it too, right? And then also your acceptance threshold maybe is lower, right? And so what the best thing would be you and me sitting here tasting and really high acidity solution, for example, or we taste lemon together. So we agree this acidity is high acidity or whatever the intensity it could be so now we calibrate it and then we can taste orange and we understand the orange acidity is lower so that's our benchmark of lower acidity coffee so that we understand the level of intensity because sometimes i might really enjoy lemon acidity but you don't but then we taste the lemon together and we're like okay this is our high acidity uh, reference so I think it's super useful. Understanding the language. Sometimes even we share the same culture. Um, it doesn't really mean we say the same thing as well. So 
it is very important to ask you what do you mean by your word. Um, I guess I might have to create some example. I can I can set an example for a book. So English, English and American English, as you know, it's drastically different, right? So for English, English, trousers means American pants, right? American pants in English, English means underwear, right? Yeah. So, so it's funny, right? And then, you know, it's just like understanding what does that mean, even though it's English, you still have to get it clear. I wanted to, to add, you know, with the comparison that you were doing about understanding the different acidity levels and sweetness mm -hmm. and, and body, that is always, that's always a conversation that we have at origin um, because for us, it's very important to understand what really the markets are kind of perceiving. Like uh, maybe we send the same copy, uh, but then we are able to compare, you know, like um, the double A copy. This is what the market in the United States is telling us about this copy. Then we have Europe telling us about, about the same copy, same quality grade, mm -hmm. but uh, maybe one was able to perceive more red fruits and the other one was able to uh, kind of identify like berries yeah. and be more specific. So that is very kind of enriching from us, for us, from a quality standpoint, uh, but also kind of understanding the, the markets and what yeah. the clients really, really want yeah. and also what the clients don't want. Yeah. Or the markets are, are maybe is a great copy, but not for this particular country or customer. Yeah, I think I think eventually you there are so many variables, right? You have water variables, you have grinder variables, you have personnel variables. So you you can't really control that. And eventually, if for example your customers in Europe say, "Oh, this coffee tastes like red currants," and you have your notes is maybe citrus or whatsoever, I and then you just understand. Okay, so next time when there's a citrus, potentially it's a red currant. So you try to find the middle ground of it and understanding each other. I think that's more important than anything because it's it's something like I understand it's you know cross culture, different different variables and yeah, it's hard sometimes. It is it's it is challenging, but that's it. That's the fun part about it. Hundred mm, like, <laughs> percent. Okay, um, I have another I have another question in terms of. You know, we were speaking about communicating, also a bit about providing kind of feedback, so you say, uh, being calibrated. Um, do you have, you know, in your current role, since you're able to pop a wide range of, of coffee, uh, what will you recommend or how do you communicate or give feedback to producers or to exporters? Um, yeah. Or even internally, you know, with your customers, because you're, you're also providing yeah. a service. Um, yeah. How do you communicate that? Because coffee changes harvest from harvest to harvest. Yeah. Um, so I would like to, to maybe explore a little bit of that. Yeah. So normally how my buying process is, 
I would travel to Origins and taste the coffee with the producer. Now, because of COVID, it's harder, but that's what I used to do. And when I'm able to cut the coffee locally, I understand how the coffee reacts to local water. And then to be able to talk to the producers face to face, that we understand maybe I want the coffee to be more acidic or maybe I want the coffee to be sweeter. And then so the producers can note it down that what am I looking for? Or in a way, we're also calibrating with what my, as a get, as a customer's dislike or, or like. And then when I got back to UK, they would then send me another samples, for example. And then so I roasted um, with by using my, my uh, roasting technique, like I, I use Akawa and then taste it with my local water. Then I will get a correlation of, okay, whatever was tasted in um, origin in coffee producing countries tastes like this in London. Okay. And then that's the, the normal process, how it works. So I actually could have a first communication when I first in um, origin. But then now the COVID has changed everything. I I will receive the sample first and I will roast the coffee. I will actually cup blind to not like having a preconception of whatever that coffee is. I will just taste it and I'll write down maybe there's a defect or maybe what I have taste basically. And then I'll look at my notes and then reveal what the coffees are. And I will speak to the producers about what I have taste. And then the producer will tell me, oh, how I processed this coffee means maybe how long they dry the coffee, maybe how long they, they ferment the coffee. And then we talk again about, okay, so my tasting notes of this might be because you dry to shores or maybe uh, there's a defect because of this process, whatever. And then we are trying to find the middle ground again so that maybe the next harvest, the producer will have a better understanding of, okay, so last time I did this, so this time I might avoid that. So I will create better quality coffee. So there's a lot of constant um, communication with the producers to to together work um, towards to the better quality coffee. Amazing. I, I think it's key to to provide feedback to mm-hmm. to you know um, because you can provide you can have a lot of uh, insights yep. but the, not not always reach to the producers to to your partners at origin and that's how we can also improve and kind of validate if what we're doing you know it's it's really working. Or yep. like how we can improve it in the long term, yeah. um, because um, you know changes in the harvest is not. There are some changes that you can do in the same harvest, but there yeah. are some others that definitely require more time. Um, yeah. and it's it is like that in coffee. Moving on to uh, our next question and kind of towards the end of, of the conversation, Frida, um, what has been you know along the years in your coffee career um, and, you know, traveling and meeting producers, learning about coffee um, and the beauty of it, what has been kind of the biggest aha moment that you have faced in in this process or maybe like a turning point Mm -hmm. um, that has really changed 
uh, kind of your approach in the, in the industry or help you define um, all the value that you have been adding to, to this industry? Yeah, I think, I think it's when I first took my job um, from Origin Coffee and that it's a really big job. So Origin buys coffee from, I think, 11 countries at the moment. And there's a lot of containers of work. I, my past job was I bought two containers a year so and and then so it's you can't compare that right and then I never really understand what I should do or I didn't really have a mentor so I sort of just jump into the ocean and try to swim myself even though there was sort of like a guideline and everything was prepared for me for the for the first five months I, I joined. However, it's a big swimming pool, I have to tell you. And I think the aha moment was when I realized uh, we are buying a lot of 83, 84 coffee for the roastery. And that's one of the busiest and most popular coffee. It's an espresso blend. And the volume is huge. And I probably buy three, four, five containers. No, I think more of, of the blend for that espresso. And I realized that those coffees are actually the most important coffee to the producers. Yes. Because they don't really have a lot of 86, 87, 88, 89 coffee because that takes a lot of time and effort. And the volume normally can be just 10 sacks of coffee or sometimes 30 kilos of that coffee. And the volume is really small for those high quality coffee. But for coffee that is lower than 86 and below, there's a lot of coffee. There's a lot of volume. And because I am able to buy those big volume of coffee, and that means I can actually increase my the volume to buy from the producers and that's when i realized the more i'm buying this the more i'm buying this coffee 83 84 or 85 or even lower coffee lower grade coffee you know the more i can support them and then the more i can move move basically move the the you know their production forward i guess i'm what i'm trying to say is Lower grade coffee is awesome because it's great for econ economical reason. It can also help them to help the producers to get more money as well. And then I think it's win-win for my perspective as a coffee buyer for our espresso coffee blend, but also for the producers. And that's when I that's that's when I started to push more to sell more coffee and then more espresso blend. And now we're, I think, 8% higher than the year, the first year I joined the company. And that's, that was my aha moment because as long as I can make my coffee more accessible, I can buy more coffee to support the producers. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's, <laughs> it's you know, it's not all, we don't always hear that. Yeah. Um, because of course we we work uh, in the specialty industry and we look for outstanding coffees. But um, like you said, the reality is that producers not always like not they maybe they can sell like ninety percent of their harvest, 
to the specialty coffee market, but in different quality ranges. Yeah. It, right. it, won't, it won't always be above 86, above, above 87 points coffee. Yeah. And all of those coffees have a purpose and can find like a home and they can really mm. make them shine. So it's, um, so thank you. Thank you for sharing mm. that and understanding and kind of, um, yeah, like a very, very key to what we do as an industry is understanding those differences because, um, again, you know, always 100% of a producer's production won't be about, you know, micro lots. No, that's not realistic. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, um, I think it's just interesting how how companies set up, and then we are very like espresso. We support a lot of wholesale customers, so espresso is really driven in in our company uh, products. And then so espresso um, blend is super important, and then it's super important to find something that's down to earth. It doesn't have to be eighty seven because I don't think anyone can create. 87 coffee for five containers or six containers is impossible. Yes. And, and, and then, so we have to be realistic like you said, and then accept that, well, actually lower grade coffee is great. And then it doesn't really mean it's bad coffee. It's, it's delicious coffee. I love, I love really good, like Colombian coffee. Um, and it tastes like panela. Is that how you pronounce it? Panela. Yeah. Panela, yeah. And then, you know, just um, cane sugar and, it's just it's just what it is, and then it's daily coffee. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like like I said, it we are able to find like every 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 coffee has a market, and every coffee has a home yeah. and a purpose. So that's kind of how I, I I see it. Um. So thank you. I have one last question that we haven't really talked about much during the mm-hmm. conversation, but um. I wanted to ask, you know, how do you think coffee companies can continue supporting women, but especially young people uh, in the coffee industry that want to be part, that want to learn, that want to grow, and that are going to become the next, the future of coffee, you know, no, um, in maybe 10, 15, 20 years? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think it's very important to understand how much impact the the teenagers and younger generation will um, sort of like influence our future because they are our future. And what I think how we could support is uh, maybe in coffee producing country or even in our own um, companies, organizations, we're trying to have more training towards to uh, maybe gender equality. To be honest, it's not just about women it's about how men should really talk to women and understand and appreciate how we um sort of provide in our relationship you know and it's to understand how we can respect each other and support each other and so when when you know so the organization should really really trying to create this type of program and then to help locally to really train and then educate the the young youngsters and then the young generation also yeah it's i think it's a interesting um perspective and hopefully we can pass along those um perspectives to to the younger generation 
Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I, I highly agree because I think one of the things that people cannot take away from you is education mm. and the experience you, you get. And this yeah. really provides the tools for, uh, I say women, but, but especially like for anyone, for any person yeah. that wants to, to join the coffee industry, either as a, you know, either in at origin, destination, like just as a consumer, like education, it's really important. Um, mm. to continue kind of growing and, and making the industry better. Yeah, because I feel a lot of how we see gender, how people treat each other is from our culture. If my culture is a feminine culture, then people respect women. If my culture is a mucho, you know, macho culture, then people sometimes will respect or not. But then how do you find a balance of, really starting the education program from the beginning when um you know the young gener younger generation starts to understand what's going on in the world and that really would help them to shape a different perspective to the to the entire world and that's super powerful because like change won't happen outside coming from inside, inside. and then but without a better tool to understand how to interact with people with different genders, then we we will always be sort of like shaped by our original uh, setup from our culture. But then if we receive more tools, more education, then we can understand, oh, okay, this is not how it should be. I can do better than that. I can really communicate in different ways, respect, treat people in different way. And then then we shape a different culture and then we shape the world. Certainly. I also think that we go beyond, you know, gender and, mm. and also look at people because of their capacity, their abilities, they, you know, mm. um, how they can learn and, and, and add value. So we look at them as professionals of like, really like this person can occupy this space that maybe was meant for a man, but now it's just for the person who is mo most to the job. qualified or yeah. that, that can learn the skills yeah. needed to, to, to be in this position. So I think that is very fundamental to mm. how we are going to continue shaping the coffee industry. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, Rita, thank you very much for, for your time. Uh, I really appreciate, you know, um, having this conversation and you sharing with us about your experience, your um, knowledge and your coffee journey. Thank you. It's ab absolutely my pleasure. And thank you for inviting me for this. Where, where can people find your book? <laughs> Last but not uh, least. Okay. So uh, you'll be able to find my book through Frida, F-R-E-D-A. Yuan.com. So FridaYuan.com. And you will be able to find from other distributors in USA or within Europe or Asia. Yeah. Amazing. So go and check Frida's book. Thank you. Have a look at the website. So and buy one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're good. So <laughs> Thank you for your time. Um, Thank you. And we'll be in touch. Yeah, speak soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. 
This was such a powerful conversation. Thank you for listening. No doubt. We invite all listeners to share their thoughts and how they have approached coping and improved their skills throughout time. And stay tuned for the next episodes coming up in the next weeks. We will continue featuring incredible women leaders that play important roles in the coffee industry. And if you have missed any of our previous episodes, they are all available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.